0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 11. Last week we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, amen? And uh, he is unstoppable. He is unstoppable. And the Lord's plan is unstoppable. And so I was telling Pastor Drew this week about what I was planning to preach on. He goes, oh wow, that's an interesting message for right after Easter. (laughs) And so then I I got a little self-conscious. But I want you to know anything that I ever speak or share with you is something that I wrestled with, not wrestled, like I've wrestled through. It uh, doesn't mean that that's currently what I'm dealing with, but I, I'm telling you that I've wrestled through this. I'm not preaching out of anything that I that I haven't wrestled through with the Lord. I don't take these things lightly at all. But this morning, I want to talk to you about the perils, the pitfalls of dead works, the works of our flesh, and how quickly we can experience the redemption that comes from our precious Jesus and how quickly we can fall into dead works. Dead works are those things that we try to do to earn God's love and favor. It's the mindset of performing our way into God's good graces. And the self-righteousness that accompanies dead works is just as deadly as the works themselves. The desire to be seen as great in man's eyes. Or to somehow gain independence from God. Paul said in Galatians chapter three that, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? There is this propensity that we have as humanity to either want to maintain or gain control of our life again. We One day we stand before the Lord and we say, God, my life is yours. And then as time goes by, we say, Lord, I, things are going a little better now. Maybe I'll take control of my life. Maybe now I can re, uh, resume sitting on the throne of my own heart again. But he is all-sufficient. And the resurrection of Jesus speaks to the all-sufficient power and authority of Jesus. That he is in need of no one. And he is perfect in every way. His blood will cover the darkest of sins. It redeems you. It saves you from yourself. It gives you a testimony of power and authority of Jesus working in your life. And so there is a choice to be made. Between our wonderful Jesus and the idol of dead works, between being known in the secret place by the chief shepherd, or being seen as something in the eyes of man, between the riches, the richness of Jesus' presence, or the fleeting riches of this world, between the true callings of God, or the American dream. But we get to choose. We get to choose, and it really is a daily choice, not that your salvation is on the line daily, but there's a, there's a choice daily of Jesus, you sit on the throne of my heart. I give you complete control of every part of, my, of who I am. And Let me tell you, outside of unforgiveness and resentment, dead works, or dead religion, or performance Christianity, whatever you want to call it, is one of the most harmful mindsets to fall in as a believer. A mindset of dead works or works of the flesh strives for independence from God. It's nothing we consciously think about. But it comes to bear in how we live our lives. No one is saying, I actively well, as if you're walking with Jesus, no one is actively saying, I, Lord, I want to be in rebellion. But how we live our lives really comes to show what we really value and how we think and what we believe. A mindset of dead works doesn't understand completely the love of God or His goodness. It demands glory and credit for its accomplishments. It builds a life to suit its own desires. All the while, you're enslaved because you, your sense of worth and value is tied up in what you produce or what you accomplish or how well you're currently performing. Oh, what a tragedy! to insult our Lord and Savior, Jesus, by trying to earn salvation or try to earn his love, when he freely gave his life because he knew our dead works would come up so pitifully short. No matter how well we performed or how good we think we are, it would never be enough to break the power of sin. Only his perfect blood could overcome. So why do we constantly fall for the trap When this idol of dead works pushes, causes us to strive, it drives us, but our Jesus never pushes. He only wounds our hearts. He invites us to rest. And he will assume the throne of your heart if you ask him. So I asked you this morning, who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Let's pray before we read scripture this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray this word would pierce our hearts today. Not the words of a man, but the words of the Lord. Maybe, may I be a mouthpiece of your Holy Spirit today. And May our hearts be open and, and receptive. Lord, would you break us out of... This idea that we need to perform for you or that your love for us is somehow conditional upon how well we are doing or that we have no need of you, that we can do it on our own. Lord, I pray you'd break it from our hearts and I pray as we read your scripture today, Lord, that your word would come alive to us in a new way in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, Genesis 11, this is the story of the Tower of Babel. And this is, a, I mean, a very common story. If I were to ask any of you in this room, most likely you'd probably be able to give me some iteration of the story. It's interesting. It's only nine verses in our Bible. And yet it's such an important um, story because it so um, helps us to understand and see the plight of humanity to take things into our own hands, to be our own God to try to do things apart from God and how foolish and futile it is. So let's read through it. Chapter 11, verse one, it says, now the whole world had one language and one common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That's why it is called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Wow. So, a couple of things to note. This is only about... 100 to maybe 200 years after the flood. So Noah is still alive. In fact, the Bible says that Noah lived 350 years after the flood, so Noah wasn't even on Medicare yet or Social Security. (laughs) He was still spring chicken. But isn't it interesting how quickly we forget? How quickly we can forget? One generation hadn't even passed. And in fact, if you read your Bible, this is a portion of scripture that doesn't go chronologically. So chapter 11 should actually be sandwiched somewhere in, uh, towards the end of chapter nine. But the writer of Genesis didn't want to disrupt the telling of the story of Noah. So there's these people, and at this time on the earth, there's roughly 1,000 to 5,000 people, not very many people. But as the Lord told them in, in Genesis chapter nine, he says, go and multiply and fill the earth. Go was the command. They began to wander eastward. And it's, there's no telling in this portion of scripture um, if this was everyone or this was a portion. It, we know that it had, had to have been a good, good number of people because of what they were trying to accomplish. But there was no necessarily real leader we know Nimrod probably had some, something to do with it, but there was no real leader. There was this collective false unity that they had in rebellion to God. It was a corporate rebellion. It wasn't just one, one person. It was corporate. And they said, let's go out to this plain. It's interesting what they chose. This is the place of late, that would later be, be Babylon. But they chose this plain. It was like a blank slate. We're like, we're going to do this all ourselves with no help from the Lord. We're going to make our own bricks We're not going to use stones. There probably weren't stones available there, but we're going to make our own bricks. And and it's going to be, they're going to be long lasting. This is going to be here for generations and generations to come. We're going to do it our way. We're going to build ourselves a city. We're going to build a tower so that the whole world may see that we have no need of God. We can do it ourselves. We can be our own savior. We can make a tower to heaven We don't need him. Wow. And it seems uh, so absurd, but this is an oftentimes the way that you and I live our lives. And maybe it's a little more subtle, maybe it's not in blatant rebellion to God, but this desire for independence from God, self-reliance, praise and accolades from men. So in this story, the true desires of the flesh are revealed through dead works. And I want to look at two, two of those this morning as we work our way through. Ben, would you turn the mic down just a little bit? It's should ring in a little bit. The first one is this. The desire of the flesh to, to seek independence from God. Notice the language that they're using. Let's make, and let's build. This is creator language, isn't it? Let's do our own thing. Let's make something great, something that the whole world will marvel at, something to suit our own desires, a fortress to protect ourselves. We have no need of God. I'm in charge of my own destiny. Mark chapter four tells us that when seed is sown, some will go upon thorny ground or shallow ground and testing comes from the word's sake. It will wither and die because it has no root in itself. There will will be testing that comes And some will get caught up in the worries of life and distracted from their king, King Jesus, focused on our own personal desires, our own ambitions, our own dreams. And listen, there are blank history, there are blank pages in the history books of heaven of those who were called but never went. Of those in whom God empowered but got distracted by the worries of life. Life. We must daily take up this cross and follow Jesus. We must continually have our minds renewed or the flesh will rear its ugly head. We must daily take up our cross, crucify that flesh in us. Pride is your enemy. Pride is your enemy. It's thinking more of yourself than you ought. Isn't this part of what happened in the original sin in the garden? This desire for independence from God, and that's exactly what they got. In Genesis 2, it tells us the serpent says, you, you, Did God really say you shouldn't eat from the fruit? He said, You certainly will not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil you will be like God. You'll be in need of no one. You'll be able to call the shots. You'll be the the navigator of your own destiny. But listen, we are only made in the likeness of God. It is Jesus, according to Hebrews one, that is the exact imprint of the Father, but we are only made in the likeness of God, meaning we are like, we're spiritual beings, we're moral beings, we're intelligent beings but for the knowledge of good and evil, God experiences that from a vantage point of being completely divine and completely perfect. We experience that from a vantage point of being completely dependent on him. So to be separated from him through disobedience and sin is now all of a sudden to carry something we are not meant to carry. Have you ever thought to yourself, why do I always want control of my life? It never goes well. I can just talk to you about all the boneheaded mistakes I've made throughout my entire life to tell you that that is a case study of just me of how that doesn't go well. (laughs) God is in need of no one, but we are in great need of him. Listen, there was no seeking God's counsel in Babel. There was no inquiring of the Lord, asking him, Lord, what do you think about this? Where do you want us to settle? Where do you want us to go? And in our lives, there's a direct correlation between the place of prayer and to and to dependence on Jesus and our understanding of his character. To seek independence from God is to not know him like we should. This is why we need to continue to deepen our understanding of God's goodness and love towards us. A few years ago, I was driving the car with my daughter Evie She was maybe five. And I said, I just, in my heart, it just rose up that, man, I just love her. And I, I've learned to just say things out loud that come to my heart that are good. Uh, I do have a filter um, for bad things. <clears throat> but I just said, oh, I, I love you so much, sweetheart. And she replied, she goes, Dad, you, you tell me that too much. <laughs> you say, I love you too much. And I go, that's not possible. I said, Evie, I love you so much more than you could ever know. She's like, Dad, you don't have to say it so much. And I said, yes, I do. Yes, I do. And she goes, Dad, well, do I have to say it back every time? (laughs) And I said, no, sweetheart. It's more important in this time in your life for you to know that I love you than it is for you to know if you love me or not. And the same is true as we walk with God. It is more important... That you know his love for you because he is the author of love. He is the essence of love and he teaches us what love is. And thank God that his love for us isn't contingent, isn't conditioned, conditional upon my love for him. Amen? But he loved you before you knew what love was. He loved you first. He loved you first. We must examine our lives and our motives. If we knew the love that God had for us, we wouldn't run from it. We wouldn't run from him and we wouldn't try to earn it. So ask yourself, why do I do the things that I do? You should have those moments in your life, whether it's monthly or, 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 or biannually or annually, where you ask yourself, why, do I, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Why are we as a family doing the things that we're doing? Do they match the values that God has placed in our life? Does it match the DNA and the culture of who we desire to be? Because so often in life, every week becomes the exception. This is just a crazy week. This is just a busy week. This is just a a wild season. And oftentimes we find ourselves on a path and down a road. We're like, how did we get here? How did I get here? We need the Lord to crucify that part in our hearts that seeks to be independent from him, to call our own shots, to sit on the throne of our own heart. Instead, do exactly what Jesus did and said, Lord, your will and not mine. Even if it means the cross. The second thing is this. This desire to be seen as something in the eyes of men. So in verse four, it says that they they wanted to build a tower, a tower that reaches the heavens. Why? So that they may make a name for themselves. They wanted to be known as great apart from the Lord. It also speaks of their distrust of who He is. The Lord had promised He would never flood the earth again, and, and, and they had all heard firsthand accounts of the flood and God's mercy to know they could go and ask Him, they could go ask His sons. They were, li- they, were living, they themselves were living testimonies of God's faithfulness and yet they desired to be their own saviors and they desired the glory that accompanies such a title. We're going to God and we're not going to wait for him to come to us. He cannot be trusted. So when the next flood comes, we'll be ready and the world will see we have no need of God. We can save ourselves. The word Babel later tells us is, it means to um, confusion or to mingle, to, to cause confusion. In Babylonian context, it means gate to God. What does the Bible tell us in Hebrews? Pastor Drew's been preaching through Hebrews that there's no mediator between us and, between us and God except for Jesus Christ himself. And yet, we want to circumvent the authority of Jesus and find our own way to God. There's only one road. There is only one way, and his name is Jesus. We cannot be our own Savior. It won't work. It will not work. But there is this desire to be seen as something in the eyes of men, and it can be subtle. It's not just standing on a stage for the world to see and everyone and the adulation and and cheers of of man. That is prevalent in our day and age. Actually studies have shown that people would rather be famous than rich in our day and age. They would rather have influence, not even depth of relationship. They want a lot of people to like them. That is an issue. But this desire to be seen as something in the eyes of man is subtle. We want to be seen as strong and self-sufficient. We won't ask for help because we don't want to look weak. We get frustrated when someone else gets credit for our idea. We gossip about others to feel better about ourselves. We broadcast our works, our good works for the world to see. We're bothered greatly when we can't please everyone. There's part of us this ambition that drives us to be seen as great. There's only one who is great. Oh how we need Jesus. Who has, is in Philippians chapter two, Paul says, who by being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The most shameful of deaths. Or as First Peter 2 says, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Thank God that he did not seek the approval of man. And he was often misunderstood. Even when he hung on that cross, the mockers insulted him, and still they had no idea why he really came. They yelled at him, you saved others, but you can't save yourself. Come down from that cross and we will believe in you. Not knowing that he did not come into the world to save himself, but to save us. He came to set the record straight that the Father is not just just, but he is also a God of love who would give his only son that we might be saved from ourselves and the power of sin. Oh, that we might be like Jesus. He doesn't demand glory, but He is the only one who is worthy of it. He doesn't demand our worship, but He is the only one deserving of it. This is why all of heaven sings, All glory to Jesus. All honor is His. All blessing is His. All praise is His, because He is the only one deserving but we often feel entitled to at least a little bit of his glory. Just a little bit of honor. Lord, can I just have a little glory? Can I get a little credit? Oh, it's all his. He's the only one worthy. If you seek to please everyone, you'll please no one. And you'll be left feeling empty. We should seek to please one, Jesus. We say, Jesus, sit on the throne of my heart. And he gave this call to them in in Genesis chapter nine, and it was the the command to go. And this is a a direct disobedience. They said, we're not going to go. We're going to build ourselves a city with walls, we're gonna we're gonna plant roots here. We're not gonna go. We don't wanna go. We're gonna stay here. But his call is still the same to us today to go. In verse 5 it says that. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. This doesn't mean that God was unaware of what was happening. Right? We know that he's omnipresent, he's all-knowing, he's all powerful but what it speaks to is the coming judgment that all of us will face. It's the same that, that happens in, in Genesis 2 when it says the Lord came into the cool of the day. It speaks of the coming of the Lord to a people who are not ready to give account. On that day, there will be no hiding. It doesn't mean if we die, and we, it doesn't just mean that if we die and we go stand before him, but it, it also means that Jesus is coming back again for us. And there will be some that will be ready and some that will not be ready. I once got called by uh, somebody that said, hey, can you go visit my brother? He's in the VA and he's dying of cancer. It's going to be any day now. Would you go? He's not a believer. Would you go and talk with him and and pray with him? And I said, sure. And I never met this man. And I went to the, the hospital and I began talking with him, asking him about his life. And it was a difficult life. And I asked him, sir, are you ready? Are you ready to die? Are you ready to go and meet your maker? He says, oh, I don't believe any of that. I'm gonna just, I'll just die and I'll become worm food. And I said, no, no, you're gonna stand, you'll stand before the Lord. You'll give an account for your life. He said, you can't scare me with all that doom and gloom, fire and brimstone. I said, no, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm t- speaking of the realities of what you're about to experience should the Lord not heal you. And to his dying breath, he said, I want nothing to do with God. Listen, we're all, all of us, as Ruthie Oberg said, all of us will find our name on a tombstone or some iteration of that. At some point, we will come face to face with the Lord. And if you're a believer, if you're walking with Jesus, he will ask you, did did you do what I asked you to do? How did you steward the things that I gave you? The call that was on your life. If if you're not walking with Jesus, you'll have a a very different conversation. There will be no one there to advocate for you. You can't say, my mother, she, she knows Jesus. She loves the Lord. He will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And yet his hands are outstretched to each one of us. That says, come near, come close. There is rest in my arms. There is life for you. There is purpose for you. There is value that I see in you that you don't see in yourself. So in verse eight, it says, but the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth. This is the place in which we live between God's sovereignty and our free will choice. There are some things that are within God's plan that are going to happen whether we want it to or not. Jesus is coming back whether we want him to or not, right? God was going to send his son to die on a cross whether we wanted him to or not. But as far as our lives are concerned and how we want to partner with the Lord, that is up to us. But there will come a day where God will say, My plan has never changed. And here he's saying, Go, and he still says it to us to go. You've heard me say it before. He doesn't just redeem your life so that you can just live uh, in the blessings of God, but he uses your life. He changed your life to now use your life as a living testimony to the world around us that Jesus is real. Can you think of another story in scripture? in which God commanded his people to go and their language was confused. In Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two, Jesus before he ascends to the Father, what does he say? He says, go, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, but wait for power from the Holy Spirit because you're gonna need that power to be a witness. And then what do we see happen? In Acts chapter two, the spirit falls. They're already new covenant believers trusting in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And instead of running from the cause of God, they step into it completely. You see, the Tower of Babel was an attempt at self-empowerment to accomplish man's will. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is empowerment from God to accomplish his will. The language of the Spirit doesn't bring confusion, but it brings us into unity with the Spirit so that we might be scattered. And that's exactly what happens in Acts chapter 2. There are people coming from all over the world to observe the Feast of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit falls. And many of them give their hearts to Jesus. It says 3,000 turned to the Lord that day. And some of them go back to their own countries. They're scattered back throughout the entire world. And overnight, the gospel is spread. And some stay in Jerusalem, and they they, they start the church in Jerusalem. But God's plan still hasn't changed. And for many of us, we've built a, 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 a fortress around our lives a life to suit our own desires. It said, God, I'll go when I feel like it. Our hearts become hard to the Lord and we wonder why we can't hear his voice. Scott, would you come to the keys? Uh, the week before last, uh, one of my Good friends and mentors passed away um, he was 88 years old which I honestly didn't know that he was that young when I spent time with him 15 years ago I thought he was any day, <laughs> any day no, it was could be I thought he was prehistoric so when you're 25 anyone over 40 seems prehistoric so his name was Ron Weiss and he is uh, was a legend of, of the faith in my opinion he used to spend hours with me we'd go to village inn and he would uh, just tell me about what the lord is doing in his life he would read scripture for me and he would weep over me in prayer in the middle of village inn and i thought how special am i that i get to spend time with this man of god who's walked with the lord for so many years only to later learn that i was just one of many <laughs> In his 20s, Ron had a, a had been married and had a family and wasn't walking for the Lord, was running for the Lord. He gave his life to Jesus, had a radical encounter with Jesus and gave his life to the Lord. And in those days, and still the same might be in these days, that if, you, if you're if you really on fire for Jesus, the, the automatic thing is to go into and, and the ministry, to be a pastor. So he told the Lord, Lord, I want to be a pastor. Make me a great preacher. I want to be like Billy Graham or... These other preachers we see, I, I want to I be great. Lord, would you make me great? He said one night he had a dream that he was in this big arena and it was full to the brim. People hungry for Jesus to hear the word and he heard over the, the, the speakers, he said, and now for our, our, our preacher tonight, I'm going to ask Ron Weiss, would you come to the platform? And preach message God's laid on your heart. And he said, I got up and I began to preach and everyone left. (laughs) Everyone left. There was no one left. Even my wife left. He said, no one was there. And and he said, I woke up from that dream and he said, okay, God, I hear you loud and clear. (laughs) Can you make a difference on this planet if you're not a missionary or a pastor? You better believe it. He worked at a creamery for 40 years. All the while, he would give up his lunch breaks. Instead of eating lunch, he would disciple young men in the faith. In his retirement years, he retired, and they retired on this beautiful lake, him and his wife, and raised kids that loved Jesus, grandkids that loved Jesus. And he, He told me he was out on the, you know, overlooking this beautiful lake one day, just thanking God. And God said, What if I asked you to give all this up? To do one more assignment. And by that time in his life, he said, Lord, I'm willing to do anything you ask me to do. So they sold their beautiful property. They moved from the lake country to Fargo, where I grew up, to be chaplains in the jail which was a a non-paying position, unpaid position. And he worked as a janitor so that he could pay for bills and for the ministry that God had given him. And so oftentimes they didn't have money. I remember one time I had found out later that the battery had died in their car and they didn't have money for that battery, to get a new battery because they had just bought clothes and and groceries for a person who had recently got out of prison. The week before his, his funeral, there was many who gathered. Men and women who had been in and out of jail, they said, I'd still be in jail if it wasn't for Ron Weiss. Others who said, I'd still be living for myself if it wasn't for Ron Weiss. And I wonder one day when we all get to heaven, the line of people that will all say I'm here because of this man's faithfulness. He wasn't caught up in pretense. Scott was telling me he, I think it was Scott, was telling me he would introduce himself, Ron would introduce himself to Scott every time. I'm Ron Weiss, it's so good to me. He's like, I know who you are. He's like, I just never want to assume that anybody, you know. he's just had so much humility. Never wanted to be seen as anything great, but only for Jesus, all for Jesus. May we live our lives like this, and this is the life that God is calling us into. That actually you see greater dependence on the Lord. Not independence, not self-empowerment, but true empowerment that comes only from him. True dependence on our King Jesus that doesn't care if the world calls you foolish. What does 1 Corinthians 1 say? It says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to those who are being saved it is the power of God this is your testimony this is mine it doesn't matter if you have a platform to stand on it doesn't matter if you work in the same cubicle for 25 years there's a a demographic of people that God has put in your sphere of influence that you say this is my mission field this is the place in which the Lord has given me influence. If you're raising babies, you say, this is my ministry. That my children would know the love of God and be raised in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Last thing, and then we're going to close. So the question is then, how do I walk in the Spirit and not in dead works? I want to leave a legacy, don't you? And it's never too late to start. I've known people that were in their later years of life that finally got serious about the things of God and God was able to do more in their life. There was more fruitfulness in the latter years of their life than there would have been in the whole life combined. Or maybe you're... You're a husband in, in your marriage And you feel like Man I just keep disappointing my family I can't live up I feel like the, 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 the train's too far down the tracks It's not Just stop today Stop pursuing your own way And just pursue Jesus Maybe the testimony in your, like your extended family You feel like you've, you've squashed it You're like I, I blew it I blew it No No it's never too late Stop Pursuing your own way. Pursue King Jesus. So how? How do we walk in the Spirit? Paul says in Galatians 5, we stay in step with the Spirit. Well, every day we yield to Him. Every day. Wake up in the morning. If you have to do it a thousand times a day, yield to the Lord. He's not looking for striving, he's looking for yielding, amen? Just say, Lord, I yield my will to you my desires, you sit on the throne of my heart. What are we gonna do today? And then there the adventure starts. The second is this, what do I know to be true? It is easy for us to get caught up in all the confusion of the world, isn't it? The nature of the enemy's kingdom is confusion. God's is clarity and understanding, simplicity. So, what do you know to be true? It might only be one thing. It might be God is good. Do you know that's enough? All of our theology comes out of God's goodness. If He's not good, we're in trouble. He is good, so if He's good, what does that say about my life? It must mean that I have some sort of value. He thinks I'm special. So that must mean I have purpose today. It also must mean I have favor today, that I walk in a favor because God is good. And because he's good, there's no turning in him. There's no shadow. He's not gonna, you know, sucker punch us. No, he's good and he's better than we think. His goodness cannot be exaggerated. third thing is this is just to listen just listen if you want to learn to hear his voice learn to listen worship the lord respond to him just listen ask the Lord who are you who am I to you what are you saying today Lord this is something that will never contradict scripture We test everything according to scripture. The fourth thing is this, then we obey. That is the crucial step, obey. For some of us here, God has been convicting us of certain things and it might seem small, but they're not. Small things are are big in the kingdom. You might say, you might hear that whisper, why are you watching this? Should you really be watching this? And why are, why are you spending so much time watching this? Or, man, you've really talked really harshly to that person. Are you really short with them? There could be any, any number of things. but If you want to hear God in the big things, you've got to obey in the little. So we listen and we we say, God, search me and know me. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. And then we, like Pastor Drew spoke a few weeks ago, we we are quick. There's a quick obedience to the Lord. He says, I want your way. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.